Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. to everyone watching and listening online and to everyone gathered here in this place. I'm so glad that we can be together in this way. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We are in the second week of our series of messages from the book of Acts, and today I'm going to talk about our origin story. I love origin stories find them fascinating. An origin story is a genre of folk tale dating back to ancient times, stories about how the leopard got its spots or how the zebra got its stripes. You know those stories. And then in more modern times, an origin story is usually a scene or an episode in a TV show or movie that tells us how a character in the Marvel Universe came to be. Every hero has an origin story. So does every villain. And families have origin stories. Families tell origin stories. Mom, tell me again, how did I get this scar? Dad, tell us again, how did you meet Mom? As a little boy, I asked my dad, Dad, why did you marry Mom? He said, well, son, you see, she used to be pretty. <laughs> now, my, my dad thought that was funny. My mom did not. And that's how my dad got that scar. <laughs> Churches have origin stories. Congregations have origin stories. There is a story behind how and why the Greenville Oaks Church came to be. And today, in Acts chapter 2, Luke is going to tell us the origin story of the early church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples go back to Jerusalem, as Jesus told them to do, where they pray and they wait for what is coming next. And what's coming next happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. It comes with the sound of wind blowing. Wind, unpredictable, uncontrollable wind producing movement. You can't always 
see it, but you know it's there by the movement it creates. But it also comes as fire. God's transforming, purifying fire. The Spirit comes as wind and fire, and it fills those first disciples. It comes to empower them for their mission to take the gospel, the good news that Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, he's crucified, he's resurrected, he's ascended and exalted into heaven to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit launches this mission. The disciples don't launch their own mission. The Spirit launches the mission. The Spirit decides when the mission begins. The Spirit decides how the mission begins. The Spirit launches their mission by empowering them to speak in foreign languages. This is a preview of the global scope of the mission. The gospel will be preached in every language imaginable, but it also, in that moment, in that place, on that day, it also captures the attention on the day of Pentecost of all the foreign language-speaking pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost from all over the Roman Empire. And they hear these disciples speaking in their native tongue, and this draws a crowd. And some in the crowd are curious. Others are skeptical. The curious ask, what does this mean? The skeptics, they say, well, they're just drunk. And in verse 14, Peter seizes the moment, steps up to the mic, so to speak, and addresses the crowd. And he tells them, he says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. As if to say, now, if it had been a little closer to five, who knows? But No, it's too early. There's no way we could be drunk. He says, instead, what you see is evidence that God has kept his promise. Promise made through the prophet Joel. A promise to pour out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit on all of God's people. And this is exactly what is happening before your eyes. The Spirit has come on men and women, old and young, sons, daughters, servants. The Spirit does not discriminate. God's Spirit is for all of God's people. And he tells them, and he connects the dots for them. I'm summarizing a lot of what he says in chapter 2, but he connects the dots for them. And he tells them, this is happening. The day of salvation that you have been waiting for, it's here, indicated by the Spirit, and it's here because of Jesus. You remember Jesus? He asked the crowd, crucified not long ago, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, exalted to the highest place. You remember, you remember the role you played in crucifying him? Now he's in heaven and he's pouring his spirit out from heaven on his people. And in verse 36, he bottom lines his sermon. He says, the spirit's coming. What you're witnessing here today, this is proof that Jesus 
is both Lord and Christ. Two different titles, Lord and Christ. Lord would have been a title important to the Romans. They like to say that Caesar was Lord, but no, Jesus is Lord. And of course, Christ, Messiah, was a title important to the Jews. And Peter presses his point to the crowd and says, this long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, who's also the universal Lord that you've been waiting for, he says, you killed him. You worked in concert with the Roman government to crucify him. You did this. Can you imagine how they must have felt when they heard him say these words and the realization dawned on them? Can you imagine? We've, we've been waiting on him. He's the one the prophets spoke about. We've been looking forward to this day. And we helped crucify him. I wonder if we can identify with that despair. I wonder if for even a moment we could put ourselves in their shoes. And just for a moment, identify with that feeling of failure. We've been waiting for Jesus for 2,000 years. He's the one we've been waiting for for 2,000 years. So imagine one day you get an alert on your phone. It's breaking news. Headline captures your attention. You read the story. It seems that a man claiming to be Jesus the Lord has suddenly appeared from nowhere in Oklahoma. And he announces that he is indeed the risen Lord, the King of Kings, and that he has come back, as he said he would, he's come back to collect all of his disciples and take them to be with him in heaven forever. But he wants all of his disciples to meet him at the football stadium in Norman, Oklahoma, in two weeks. You've got two weeks to get there, he said. I'll see you then. Now, immediately, we're all skeptical, aren't we? Because everybody knows that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to Oklahoma. Everybody knows you do not get to heaven through Norman. There's no way. And then he does an interview with our least favorite news network, whichever one yours is, that's the one he's on. And we're disturbed by the way he answers some of the questions. He doesn't sound like the Jesus we believe in at all. And then we see footage of him spending time with people that we would never spend time with. Unknown people, but also people we see in the media. The, the people who, when they do show up on our TV screen, we immediately change the channel. We don't want to hear a word from them. And this one who claims to be Jesus is spending time with them? 
And over the course of those two weeks, just about everyone in the world, everyone in the world comes to the conclusion that there is no way this is the second coming of Christ. Can't be him. Not a chance. And so very few people make the trip to Norman. Those who do are not really church people. They're curious. None of the most famous Christians in the world go. There are no global church leaders there. No best-selling authors, no famous preachers, no social media influencers. None of them bother. There are a few TV crews there, though, who maybe it's to watch a train wreck. They want to see what happens, but they're there to film the spectacle. Or maybe just to make fun of all the religious kooks who show up. And when the one who claims to be Jesus walks through the center of the field, a very small group of disciples walk out to meet him. And when they gather around him, there is a blinding flash of light. And the one who claims to be Jesus and the small group around him, they all ascend into heaven in a cloud and then disappear. And those who are watching on TV... They begin to wonder, do you you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible that was actually him? And then an angel of the Lord appears. We know it's an angel dressed in white, golden halo, wings. We've seen the pictures. It's an angel of the Lord. And the angel looks into the camera. News is spreading and people are tuning in across the world, and he looks into the camera and he says, that was him. That was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came back just as he said he would, and you rejected him. Or you didn't even reject him, you just ignored him. And he's gone. You missed him. You missed your chance. Can you imagine as the news spreads the despair? We have been singing about, talking about, studying about, waiting for him to return for 2,000 years And when he finally does, we miss our chance. Verse 37, when the crowd realizes that they've not only rejected Jesus, but they helped the Romans crucify him, they are cut to the heart. So much so that they interrupt Peter's sermon and say, what shall we do? You know the sermon's going well when the crowd interrupts and says, we've heard enough, just tell us what to do. What do we do? Oh no, what do we do? And Peter's response is simple and to the point. He tells them in verse 38, says, repent 
change, turn around, alter the trajectory of your life, change the way you think about God, change the way you were thinking about Jesus, change the way you're thinking about what it means to be the people of God, change and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, especially the sin of rejecting Jesus, the son of God. And you too can receive the gift of God's purifying, transforming spirit. And the thousands of people who hear Peter say this, they know good news when they hear it. He could have said, there's nothing left for you to do except die in your sins. You had your chance and you blew it. But Peter knows what it's like to be given a second chance. And he tells him it's not too late. You can still say yes to Jesus. And you can still get in on this long-awaited new thing that God is doing. And Luke tells us in verse 41 that 3,000 people responded to that message and were baptized. And I envisioned them all racing to see who can get in the water first. They are desperate to receive their second chance. The origin story of the early church is a story about a group of people who were wrong about something hugely important, Jesus. The origin story of the early church is a story about a group of people who were wrong about Jesus and were given another chance. But it's not just their origin story, is it? When we read the Bible so that it's about them instead of us, we rob scripture of its transforming power. So rather than reading this story and, and thinking, well, how could they have been so blind? How could they have been so foolish? How could they have rejected and helped crucify the Son of God? What if instead we read it and ask, how are we like them? Where do we see ourselves in this story? How is this origin story of people who were wrong getting another chance? How is this our story as well? Can we find ourselves in this story about a bunch of people who were wrong? In her wonderful book, Being Wrong, Catherine Schultz invites us to embrace our wrongness. Invites us to embrace the inevitability of being wrong because to be human is to be wrong over and over and over again. Before Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, Augustine said, I err, therefore I am. And she asked in the book, she says, Do you know what being wrong feels like? Being wrong feels exactly like being right up until the precise moment you realize you're wrong. Being wrong feels exactly like being right until you realize you're wrong. 
I wonder what. I wonder what we're wrong about. wonder what big thing God is wanting to do in us and through us and with us that we fail to see. I wonder how we are right now refusing to cooperate with God and the Spirit. I wonder what big thing we're wrong about. Because I know we're wrong about something big, something important. Just like our ancestors have always, they were always wrong about something big, something important. We're wrong about something right now. We just don't know what it is yet. But our great-grandkids will. You can be wrong about something for a long time and not know it. And then one day the wind of the Spirit blows into your life. And you hear a sermon, or you read a book, or you have a conversation, or a chance encounter with a stranger, and suddenly you feel the fire of God's Spirit burning in your heart. Oh, no. I was wrong. We were wrong. It's happened before. We were wrong about the Holy Spirit. We were wrong about who all is included in the family of God. We were wrong about how we interpreted that passage of Scripture. We were wrong about how we treated that particular group of people. The Spirit moves and we realize that Jesus has been standing in front of us, speaking to us, trying to get our attention, and we have failed to see him, failed to hear him. We've missed him. We've been wrong, and now we see. And how could we have missed it? The good news in the story, the good news in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost is that being wrong is not the end of the world. You can be wrong about something really, really, really important, and it's not the end of the world as long as when you realize you're wrong, you're willing to admit it and start over. That's all it takes. Just be able to admit it and begin again with God. In verse 42, Luke tells us that these first Christians who were wrong made the most of their second chance. And one of the things they did was they gathered together to break bread. In the aftermath, after their baptism, they they gathered together to break bread, among other things. And this is likely Luke's way of telling us what they did is they got together to share the communion meal, and they could not do this enough. They were remembering and celebrating the crucified, resurrected, exalted Lord who gave them a second chance. They were expressing their gratitude for being invited to begin again. And today, we've gathered as a people who know the sting of being wrong. We know what it feels like to be wrong about something important. 
But we also know the joy found in receiving a second, third, fourth, or 50th chance from the risen Lord. And so today, let's make the most of it as we gather around the table. This is the table of the Lord. Not of the church, but of the Lord. Made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. Come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. For it is the Lord who invites you. And it is his will that those who want him and those who want to be like him should meet him here. Come and let us break bread together in gratitude. Join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this table, for this bread, for this cup, and all that they mean to us. And we ask that as we gather, your, your wind of the wind of your spirit would blow on us, and the fire of your spirit would burn in our hearts. We ask that as painful as it is sometimes that you would continue to show us the truth, which means showing us how we're wrong. Give us the faith and the courage to repent and to accept the next chance you offer us. And Jesus, we thank you for loving us, for saving us, and for never giving up on us. And it's in your name that we express our gratitude. Amen. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. And this is the cup, the blood of Christ, shed for you. Now, please stand and let's read together this benediction from Ephesians 3. Join me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. 
Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.